Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. Do you think that there are mysteries in your life? Do you think that there are things that are fundamentally unsolvable? Or do you feel largely how I feel, which is that everything is just a puzzle? Uh, if it's okay, if I uh, sort of uh, start here. So I have um, I have a lot of... Uh, I think concern would be one word. A concern would be my like distant, like I'm observing it word, but maybe resentment, sort of anger, um, with what I consider to be a growing uh, the the idea. So nihilism, right? Yeah. The idea, the nihilistic worldview. Um, I think, which I I I don't I I may clarify, but. I think it develops from a a very concrete mindset that everything has sort of a, an answer and everything can be quantified because it's it seems to me that if you feel you can understand everything, break everything down to its most basic components, right? And in a way, if you could do that, right, maybe control the outcome of other things based on what you know about the components, right? Right. Um, it, uh, in some, in, you know, if you do it for tools or for building or for construction, you make things. But if you do it for um, deep questions about the way that we think or the way that we live, you begin to, and maybe in a just way, but you begin to highlight and underscore uh, sort of the arbitrariness of a lot of things that we hold sacred, right? Right. So, um, for me, if I looked at, like, right and wrong as a puzzle that could be solved, um, that would be, I mean, in a way, that's what ethics is. It's saying what's the best, best, what's the worst, worst, and so on. But um, with that sort of the universe being a puzzle mindset, you can break ethics down maybe into, like, psychology right and how cultures interact and how cultures view right and wrong and that isn't to say any of it's wrong but it is to say that if you had that in your mind you might start saying well even the way that i look at the way of things being arbitrary right is arbitrary and um sort of out of my hands and it can be quantified and solved and that doesn't and that means in a sense i can't control it right a puzzle is not something I think that I, I I wouldn't look at a puzzle and say like I can put the pieces anywhere I want. I would look at like a jigsaw puzzle and say the pieces have to go in a spot, right? They have to be placed in a specific position for the puzzle to be complete. So looking at bigger concepts with that same jigsaw puzzle mentality, I feel like you would be in a position where you'd know you're not in control of the puzzle pieces or the puzzle you're just there you can learn more about what the puzzle has you can learn more of the pieces and put more of the pieces together but it, at the end you're just kind of proving to yourself that you didn't make the puzzle you have no control over the puzzle and even if you're putting the pieces in it's because you were supposed to at this time actually now i have a new question but it's it's for, it's for the new guest uh, what is it like dating a nihilist who self-identifies as a puzzle <laughs> and has a hatred for mankind? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> I don't think I'm dating someone like that. Mm, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Although, life is a mystery and I could be wrong. Okay, so you're mm. on the mystery team. I think that everything has an answer, but I don't know the answer to everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that um, I'm in the, I think I'm in the kind of in-between section that's in the puzzle side, but the difference is, like, if I, if I don't know, um, like, fundamentally, I think that the things that seem to be mysteries have structure, and I think being able to solve the puzzle is having knowledge of what the structure is, but to, but to say that it doesn't have structure to me um, is very confusing, and it could be the case that things are mysteries that things don't have structure in any coherent way, but there seems to be some kind of an underlying cause and effect behind everything, whether or not I'm aware of it. And in that sense, I think it's a puzzle. Yeah. I, I, I think, for my money, I wish, I wish it were a deeper mystery 
but um like you said uh there is this i mean even something as simple as lifting up a ball and dropping it to the ground right mm-hmm. you can identify a cause and effect relationship and just applying that further and further and further i yeah I, I don't know how this is uh, this this sounds silly to me um i think i feel like the world is the universe is a puzzle but i convince myself it's a mystery or i want it to be a mystery deeply i want there to be something mysterious i want there to be something that deviates from sort of the universal structure of things but i wouldn't know what that would look like and the more i think about it the more i think it wouldn't be the case i feel like um (laughs) well actually i thought of this as we were walking over here we were talking about control of your life and you mentioned something that stood out which was that um you feel like you don't feel like someone else has control right it's you feel like you do but to me what's interesting about that is that there's all the like in general when i think of science i think of it as the world without people (laughs) and you see what i'm getting at it's that you there's this automatic response sometimes where it's like if i don't have control then another person has control but there's another option which is just that there's some structure and function that has nothing to do with a human being at all. And I, I say that because I feel like mysterious to me is almost a question that's answered by a who rather than a what. Like, who's doing something mysterious, you know? Like, there's some intent. There's some active being out there that's making things, you know? And the answer to the mystery is always finding out what's in their mind. Yeah. Whereas if you just look at, like, waves coming in and coming out, well... Unless you're thinking there's somebody behind the horizon, right, pushing water, then you wouldn't really categorize it. Or I I feel like it wouldn't be categorized as a mystery because it is boiled down to not only cause and effect, but cause and effect without any human, you know, involvement. You know, so in that sense, fuck mysteries is basically what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, did you have something to... Oh, sorry. I thought I heard something. Okay. Um, also, uh, I know I, I told you already, but ethics is something that uh, I've started thinking of it in these terms. It is a it is a logical approach to an emotional problem. Yes. Isn't that a little weird? So. Because right and wrong, I mean, that's what basically what ethics is about. Or am I wrong? I know there's... No, so... so and Am I wrong? <laughs> looking at ethics, there's, there's questions that can be um, derived from... Well, okay, so uh, questions in... Like, here would be a question, right? Um, who deserves to suffer? Yeah. Would be an ethical question, an ethics, right? Yeah. And like you said, who deserves to suffer... I mean, not even relating to the suffering, but the question itself, who deserves to suffer, is an emotional question. Right. Right. Who deserves to suffer? The deserves part, I think. It's the deserving part. It's not who's suffering or what is the nature of the suffering. We're starting at who deserves to suffer. But that's an ethical question. Um, And like you said, you have to... the, The point of ethics would be to take a logical approach, which more or less from what I've seen is structuring what you structuring your emotional response to the emotional question. I think this is right. Right. Yeah. You have to essentially build it out of, um, logical statements. You have to build it out of, um, well, uh, sufficiencies and necessities. Uh, you have to build what you think is the right and the wrong or the correct sort of, um, the correct course of action. You have to decide that by justifying everything that you're saying at an emotional level. Right. Because we could probably, I mean, if, if I say like, people who eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, fuck those people. They deserve to <laughs> suffer. Fuck those guys, right? Yeah. At the core, so of course, you know, this would get dressed up in ethics and you, we go down and blah, 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 blah and do a, you know, go to school, stay there, get a doctorate, come yeah. back, write a book. And in the book, I've presented this, you know, grand theory of ethics about peanut butter jelly sandwich eaters and why they are, 
you know, they're, they're clearly the most deserving of suffering mm-hmm. of all people, right? But we're starting where that probably emerged from is some emotional thought in my head, deep, deep buried, that said peanut butter and jelly sandwich people are bad, right? Yeah. At its bedrock, it's something that somebody else could completely disagree with and build a whole new system on top of, a new, new assumptions, and then everything changes, you know? Yeah, and, and like you said, so looking at the world, looking at science as the world with, without humans, or even the world without maybe consciousness or intent, it's just yeah. the world doing things, Yeah, right? the world as it, as it just, does, just, as it is. Just functioning, which, <laughs> if funny enough, might be the world with humans. Yeah, it is right? the world. The it world obviously is the world with humans. Is what, world. what I mean is, we, by default, are in a world that's hyper-focused on humans. Mm-hmm. And then the only way to minus that, it, it, it's almost... The, the world without humans is the metaphor for the reality of the struggle of going to a world that suddenly doesn't have all this human influence. It's not centered on human, you know, desires. It's just cause and effect that, around things that humans don't even know about, you know, yeah. most of the universe. So it's not without them. It's obviously with them. It's just there's such a small percentage. It's almost like you're going from 100% human to like 0.0001% human. Metaphorically, there are no humans. There yeah. are none of them. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's and it's it's so. I think I've been I've been critical of this in the past, but uh, viewing. Let's say we were to view ethics like a science, right? Where we can get we can t- do experiments and get data back based on what people think is right and wrong mm-hmm. at a grand scale and work out, you know, something from that. Uh, and make predictions and control things moving forward. The perhaps when when looking at ethics, I think having this sort of logical approach to an emotional problem or an emotional d- dilemma is to say that um, I, I don't know. I maybe I have to just stop talking and think for five seconds. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Plant medicines. <laughs> New topic. <laughs> well, actually, I do want to splice this in. So uh, I used to think that there's a, uh, in the future, it, it might be possible to measure every neuron and to understand fundamentally what, when someone is in pain. Because we have our cultures, but then we also have these root experiences. And um, the culture sometimes, especially in ethics, we can lay over these rude experiences with these specific things that the culture has decided, you know, like we can feel uh, validated by our peers, but maybe in our culture, you need to get a degree first. And then that's when you should feel that feeling, or you can feel, you know, that there's a lack of justice, but maybe in an honor culture, that lack of justice comes when you uh, uh, beat someone up and they, someone stopped the fight. You know, so it's, it's, it's different. It depends on where you are, but there are these kind of basic, um, things that everybody experiences. And one of the funny things now, you know, I'm crazy. I am legitimately, you know, as I've been through the whole thing because of my defective brain. All right. Bipolar won the whole thing. But if I wasn't, <laughs> I'd be fucking around with plant medicines. <laughs> well, Aviva, did you want to get in there? <laughs> all right. If, if, if I wasn't, I'd be experimenting with plant medicines because I think that this super futuristic, you know, thing that I was wondering about for all these years of like, man, this, what if it was possible to just experience almost like the first operating system of humankind. You know what I mean? Like, what's the thing that everybody has in common before you lay on their culture? Um, It seems that a lot of people who do those type of experiments they describe experiences that are like this and it's not through tech it's not through the robots in the brain it's through a biological approach and there's no reason to think that that wouldn't be the case um everything in nature seems to have this kind of um symbiotic relationship where you have the whales and the little sucker fishes on them and both benefit (laughs) one gets clean the other one gets food um it is possible that this experience of like root human beings is an experience that is possible with something that's already around. and um, But it is something that I think of when I think of ethics now. 
because that's a big problem is our cultures are all different. Nobody like the, the basic units that we're reasoning from are different and we're expecting to get some kind of a, you know, set of partial differential equations that we can solve so that everyone's happy. They're not even, we don't even have the same, you know, variables, <laughs> the same number of variables even. Yeah. So it's like, maybe it is solvable from that first operating system. Or from some base layer that's underneath the software that we learn as we, you know. I so I think that's that's interesting. But hearing about like the charting, you know, charting all the neurons and figuring out the pain and the pleasure. Um, actually, for me, I think that would be terrifying. I think that would be problematic, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe what that emerges from is, let's say hypothetically, right? We could go in, we could get the neurons, we could figure out, okay, these. 16 million neurons correlate strongly with pain, right? Or, you know, these eight ones correlate with, like, physical pain. These eight correlate with mental or anguish. Or, you know, we would use these two million to describe the unique, you know, suffering you have when... Doing calculus homework. Doing calculus homework. Or, uh, (laughs) you know, you get stuck in traffic and a guy cuts you off. Where are the four million neurons for that? So <laughs> that actually is a, that would be one of the things, by the way, in that base human is that traffic cutting off because that's yeah. like a very primal thing, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck that guy. Like anything that's automatic to us, that would probably be in that original man that the I'm original, trying to think the of. Core human is, OS, yeah. 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 Um, but but so then 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 it sort of begs this new question where okay we found all the points of suffering right we know yeah. the neurons so we know what behavior can create um x suffering or y pleasure in a person and we can tell because we look at the neurons between this guy from japan and this guy from australia and this guy from europe and this guy from africa and this guy from antarctica yeah. who's there for some reason right and all the neurons they all do the same thing when presented the same behavior okay so we worked that out but would the, would the intention there, would the in, intention for that therefore be to minimize the pain? Right. Because or, you can easily maximize the pain. Or maximize yeah. the pain. And the, the other thing is take like, take like weird, like suffering of like being a child and your, your parent yells at you. Yeah. Because you, um, you ran out into the road. Yeah. And they say, no, you shouldn't have done that. And you get scared, right? You're like, ah, uh, and you're yeah. freaked out as a child. Well, there's suffering that's created from that. And, you know, maybe in some people that might lead to very complex suffering later on, right? Oh, yeah, you're talking to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, anyhow. <laughs> the idea of, like, let's say, um, people developing. From what I've seen, a lot of people develop through pain i'm not saying you know force everyone to go through painful situations so they become strong and tough right um but if you had if you could calculate all this stuff and have it down to numbers and i mean like numbers right numbers and sort of controlled variables there is an ethical question there yeah of okay well what do we do and to who and why right what gives what would give me the power let's say as a scientist or an observer to say um okay this you know this action is out someone would say well why is that and i'd say well you know it set off these three million and these three million pain neurons right it's not going to work out i don't think that's a good action that that person should have to go through it's causing them pain um but someone else may look at it and say, no, 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 no. People need that. Yeah. People need that to develop or no, that's just what people do. That's what yeah. it means to be a human being. Exactly. Right. And now you wrestle with this new problem. And then someone looks at your neurons while you're having this conversation. I know they would love it. I, I've said that before. I, it's like such a, um, a conversation. If you just look at what it is physically, it's pretty boring. <laughs> like you're like primates making noises you know <laughs> hopefully an idea gets in there maybe not it's probably ricocheting uh vice versa but the the reality of it is it's more of a brain experiment in my view where if someone could brain scan me while i was talking to certain people or in the in a kind of flow state in a conversation i think it would be interesting 
um, as as boring as a sound, you know, <laughs> or even a bird chirping, get a bird to you know whip up a conversation, put the brain scanner on it, lock it down, and uh, I think you would see something that's uh, different from the mundane, as mundane as it seems from the outside. Um, that I was saying, okay, looking at like a person speaking, get the brain waves. Um, how the brain lights up and then a bird chirping the yeah, brainwaves yeah. there was a philosopher I don't remember his name or her name uh, or their name who wrote a book or maybe it was a paper that was what's it like to be a bat mm. and it was this um, uh, I suppose I don't know epistemic epistemological uh, relating to knowledge but the question was can we even think about like the way a bird thinks for instance right because it does have a brain the brain does things the brain has neurons and whatnot uh we know that it doesn't have maybe the same level of intelligence or tool intelligence that we do um or we might and i think the if i remember correctly the outcome from that paper, from that book, was to say that there is no possible way we could think about what it's like to be a bat. There's no way we could be, we could have sort of like a bat-minded way of looking at things. Because mm. even thinking about the way a bat would think would be from the perspective of the way a human thinks. Right. Right. And the same with how a bat would look at how a person thinks. A bat, you know, I don't know, given enough time maybe and enough interest, could possibly work out what it is to be a human but it's being a human on a bat's terms right so the behaviors would still probably be you know maybe on point so we do things we bend over we use tools or something but it would be from a bat's perspective right um which is to say it would be completely foreign and alien to us i mean we really don't even even other humans i think we don't have a full understanding of what it's like to be them yeah <laughs> members of our own species yeah let alone a bee, a little bug or something, a praying mantis. Yeah. If we used our ethics system with the Black Widow, then they'd be locked up. <laughs> well, and actually, it's funny because would a Black Widow know what it means to be locked up? <laughs> right. Would a Black Widow be like, you'd be like, oh, well, you you know, you, you kill, you have to be locked up. A Black Widow would have no, wouldn't even know how to process that, what right? What would you take away from a Black Widow to make it suffer? <laughs> we can't think about it. We're thinking of a, a a human thinking about a black widow. Yeah, what would you, as a black widow? What could you give a black widow that would make it happy? Right, right? You, a bug, a rolled up uh, fly. Uh, maybe nothing. Right, even if a, a black widow gets like a fly or a bug, it's not sitting there like Might this is the best fucking bug I've ever eaten. Right, <laughs> right. it's not saying that. It's it's it, look, it it consumes and something in the brain goes and it carries on. It might not even, like, what if we presented the wrong fly recipe or we don't cook it the way that it prefers? Like, we don't know Black Widow cuisine. How disrespectful, right? Maybe there's a certain way of doing things. Uh, another thing is, like, uh, people would say, uh, well, humans, you know, we uh, we change the earth. Look at us. We change things. We build machines. Like, well, spiders build webs out of their butt, right, or something. I don't know exactly how it works, but they, they build shit. Ants build shit. Termites tear shit up. You know what I mean? We're not the only ones. If you if you fly in a plane, you'll realize our tallest buildings really are like, it's like grass. You know, it peaks above the grass. These trees are like blades of grass. <laughs> just like, it's like a fractal structure. We're one level up acting like we're on some whole other thing. Like, like we're, yeah, at the top of it, but. That's the Amazon rainforest, you know? <laughs> to something. And when it gets chopped, that's, you know, uh, global huh. change. Installing and a sprinkler system is global. Yeah. It's climate change. I've, and you're and looking at, like, orders of magnitude and scale, right? If I step on an anthill, I mean, that's, that's cataclysmic, right? But yeah. if, you know, a cosmic object hits yeah. our planet, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's cataclysmic. And the anthill might not even be that disturbed by the asteroid. <laughs> Yeah. Assuming there's a planet left, right? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was 
I don't know if this is accurate, but I think the rats are the reason why mammals survived that time <laughs> because they they could scurry around. They could burrow, burrow and burrow, yeah. yeah. It didn't matter as much. The dinosaur. Oh, I'm joking. The rats like, bitch. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm just bur- bury myself underground. I'm gonna wait while. until it's safe to come out, yeah, man. Just Fuck wait it. around. It's nothing to me. I'm underground. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, tragedy is relative if you think about it that way. I mean, if the whole, not to be morbid, but but if the whole species were to be wiped out, would it really be that bad? It's, who are you asking? Well, I'm sorry, this is <laughs> it very, just depends very, on who you Very ask. nihilistic thing to say. <laughs> no, not to depress anybody. I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> extinctions happen and, you know, this is. I'm not suggesting that it's a good thing. I'm just saying perhaps it's neutral. You brought up something earlier, and I wanted to to make this point. I I I didn't catch it, but I will now because you've brought this up. Um, thinking about um, environmentalism, right? Um, I like the way that it's set up, and also, you know, save the earth. Don't I don't know burn tires every Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was I was thinking about the language of environmentalism, right? That we're killing the planet. <laughs> Or that the planet is dying or something like that. And part of, you know... and George it's, Carlin has a pretty good bit on that. Oh, then maybe... Here's the thing. I haven't seen it, and I might just be repeating what he's saying. If well, I'm go just, for it. If I'm repeating it, it I mean, just, just I mean, shut me up. it's a good thought, and it's um, obvious what he said, so... Yeah, the, the, the fact of the matter is the, the, the Earth, right, is a giant molten ball of iron. It's a really hot fucking ball of iron compressed iron right right that's what it is and outside that there's the crust really is really nothing yeah there's hot moving rock right and then on the very 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 outside there's this hardened bit of rock um and there's stuff growing on it right and then the atmosphere is really nothing the crust and the atmosphere are negligible yeah, it's, when it's, looking at the it's just kind of the, yeah. the outside of this big ball so you know if and it's funny because like let's say you know the the planet is the planet is dying the oceans are rising the trees are dead there's no oxygen everyone's on fire the outside of the ball caught on fire and the ball doesn't care because it's a giant molten ball of iron spinning in space even if like there was a way to crack the planet in half the planet is dead the planet doesn't care because it's a giant ball of yeah. molten iron it's not you know when we say that we're saving the planet, what we're, I mean, and it's okay to say this, right? It's, it's an ethical thing, but we're trying to perpetuate people. Yeah. People the, are good. We need more of them. Yeah. More well, people. Well, and it's there's stopping a, the people. there's an ethical question. The more people. <laughs> By the way, we're the people stopping the people. <laughs> <laughs> we're the people that are preventing the, and it's, it's not like it's the zebras that are stopping the people. <laughs> the people it's the people that are stopping it's it's the people that are stopping the people and i mean like you said well with, with what the earth is the earth is just a giant ball of stuff going on right stuff happening yeah now we're here we do stuff we hang out we walk around we make judgments we make decisions we make um do we make decisions oh that's a whole <laughs> conversation oh boy and that's important for ethics too um uh but for environmentalism, um, saving the planet is saving the planet for people or just saving people, right? Yeah. We need more trees so more people and things can breathe oxygen because that's a, probably the best way that we're going to perpetuate ourselves as people. And, you know, uh, is that the right thing to do? Me, personally, <laughs> I'm quick to say yes. Just because... Why not? Well, Why not be on team people? You know what's funny as well? That is, I mean, that could be a good enough argument to keep people going. Why not? Let's keep yeah. people going. It's not like, well, people are destructive. Who gives a shit? It's that the earth doesn't care. The zebras aren't walking around like, fuck, I wish those destructive humans were gone. Yeah. They don't think that. They just yeah. live. The way that they experience our presence is probably through their environment changing. So they would have to connect the dots to even know we have anything to do with it. I mean, and... <laughs> and it's funny it's you know they i don't i don't i don't know if they'd have the cognitive capacity to do that but even if they did it it would it would be like um 
I mean, imagine if like we were just sitting out here and all of a sudden, boom, something changed about our world and we were just like panicking. Even if we had some grasp of what changed it so fast and that it had intent, the yeah. fact it did it so fast would put it so far out of our hands that it would be irrelevant anyway. Yeah. I mean, um, even even people with our great prefrontal cortexes, <laughs> when we're in survival mode, then we just need to survive. That's the number one priority. And we don't have the time to connect the dots. Um, so, I mean, what, one thing that I, I always found interesting, because I don't know which kid I was, but there's that famous experiment about uh, if you give a kid like a donut or something and say, but if you wait for an hour, I'll give you two donuts. And then some kids do it. And, uh, and then th this has like huge ramifications, apparently for the rest of their fucking lives. Like they're, they're better with their money. They, <laughs> a thousand things are different because they can delay the gratification. Um, I feel like when you're in real danger, you don't have a choice to delay your gratification. You have to take whatever's there. You know, it puts you in a state of mind where even it's even if it's to your advantage to invest or to wait or to save, you can't if your baby's crying. <laughs> you know, and I feel like most of the animal kingdom is just like that. Maybe that's how they are all the time, where they don't really... It, some animals, you know, strategize when they hunt and stuff like that, but... If you got to eat, you got to eat. A strategizing seems like a, almost a privilege of the those who already have their bellies full. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think we went over my two things for you. I just for fun, we could talk about dating. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's talk about dating. Is now I, I want everyone to weigh in on this, especially. What is the objective of dating? That's the question. Oh. It depends on who you ask. Okay, if I'm asking you, then what is the objective of dating for you? You know, I've never thought about that, actually. That's uh, an interesting oh. question. So you're going off of um, just the biological programming? <laughs> or is there some kind of a forethought that, hey, you know what? I'm going to go for this, then that. I'm going to plan this out. I think when I'm dating, I just um thinking about spending time with the person that I'm with. Yeah. I, I don't think... I think some people have... Like, I've talked to people where their goal is marriage or their goal <gasps> is... What do you uh, think about marriage, by the way? Is this a good institution or fuck marriage? Um, I don't know enough about it to say either way. I think... It is um, run by the government. <gasps> the government kind of is in charge of that. I wouldn't, I don't understand like people who are obsessed with the idea of marriage because it's, it's a paper you sign that the government yeah. <laughs> has to do with. I, huh. I think um, that when it's practical, it's practical. And when it's impractical, then it's impractical. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. When it's practical, it's practical. When is it um when is it impractical? It is impractical. Uh well, a good example of it being impractical is if like uh, my parents they got married very young. They got married when my mom was 19 and my oh, dad wow. was like 22. Mm -hmm. Uh if I had gotten married at 19, that'd be very impractical because uh, I was under my parents' insurance, and mm. if I had gotten married, I would lose that insurance, making it impractical. Got you. The insurance. When are you off your parents' insurance? 26. Oh, wow. So, yeah, no marriage until 26? I haven't thought too much about it. I suppose <laughs> so. No, it depends. It depends yeah. if I get my own um, insurance or if I'm with someone who has insurance. I think a lot about insurance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's an important thing to think about. You might have been one of the two donut kids. I I actually was in an experiment similar to that. I don't think it was done on purpose, but they were talking about cigarette smoking and they gave everyone a package of Lay's. Yeah. And they said, um, no, don't open that package of Lay's. It's not good for you. And a lot of kids were like, ah, fuck it. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to eat those Lay's. And I was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I ended up smoking cigarettes later, so a lot <laughs> Wait of a minute, what's the, <laughs> what's the connection between the lays and the cigarettes? That just the warning alone, somebody giving you a verbal warning and how that, how um, you respond to that? Is that what they're testing? <laughs> I think they were just talking about um, peer pressure and stuff. Like if another kid was eating the lays, then it would make you want to eat the lays. Oh. If you open it and you smell it, you're like, that smells pretty good. Yeah. 
that kind of thing. What do you think about dating? You're asking a lot of questions, but I'm curious yeah. about what you have to say. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, you know, I'm the worst at dating. <laughs> the worst? Well, here's one thing that I've realized about dating. I'm only attracted to lesbians, so it makes it very difficult for me as a straight male. <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah, it's only the people who have, who want nothing to do with me. But the um, in general, I think that uh, actually I have some extreme views uh, on dating. Um, one of them is that I think that it is largely a game of you know whatever whatever options you have at the time. <laughs> So I I very I don't I don't uh subscribe to the old like there's a perfect match out there. But I do think there are people who are better and worse match for you, matches for you at any given moment based off of your psychological profile amongst other things and that the people that you date are ultimately the people who were decent enough matches for you to sign off on it and then also available right and the meaning they sign off on you so it's very much like a group of people at any given moment are dateable and then if you somehow make contact in a way that you know both of you find appealing then those are the people that you date such that the downside of that is whoever i'm with some part of me is thinking like mm, you know this is just one of the <laughs> One of the people in the group. <laughs> Do you tell that to your girlfriend? <laughs> Some of them. I mean, it depends on the, the nature of the relationship. <laughs> but, I mean... If it's getting serious, then you tell them that they were just available. Well, I would tell them I feel like there's a way of getting to it that wouldn't be offensive. So what I try to do here, this is actually 100% true. And I've been doing this for quite some time and I've been successful using this technique. I try to offend them as much as possible immediately. If I really like them, right? If I really think, you know what, there could be something here that I want to cherish, then I immediately try to get rid of them, basically. <laughs> that way, you know, if it works, then I can always say, well, you know, this That's would have a keeper. <laughs> no, I could have said this would have happened eventually if they just got so upset with me that they just couldn't bear the thought of any kind of relationship being, you know, built between the two of us. And then I could say, hey, you know, well, better now than seven years in. <laughs> so it's almost like a no hypothesis approach where it's like you assume you're wrong and then if you get disproven, then you're right. So, uh, so it's a combination of saying, let me be honest with my, you know, between me and my inner soul, you know, let me be honest and admit and submit to my attraction and, you know, desire to, uh, court this person. Do you feel like you're a difficult person? <laughs> no, Is I'm the easiest person. Because it's super easy to know. It's almost like a worst case scenario first, you know? It's super easy to know what you're dealing with because you already dealt with it. And I'll, I, I am actively improving upon my flaws. I'm actively, you know, trying to develop myself, so to speak. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'm not developed. <laughs> There's a lot of room for growth. So I'm trying to expose them and see, like, how they, what do you make of all of this? And then... <laughs> Whatever the response is, and you'd be surprised, it actually gets a pretty positive response. It's it's like the exact opposite of what you would think. But anyhow, this is that's one of my uh, views on it. Is at worst first, you know, that's like right off the bat. And then second, I mean, I'm very similar to you in the sense that I uh, just try to spend a lot of time. And then me spending a lot of time is low-key me experimenting and training them psychologically, punishing them and rewarding them for things that I <laughs> I prefer. <laughs> this is very interesting. <laughs> well, the thing is, everyone That's... does this, but they're they're just not as conscious, you know. But basically, are I want to. Sure? I want. Maybe they are. Maybe they're more <laughs> conscious. But I'm I'm open about it, and I say, listen, you know, I'm gonna basically just train you for the next couple of years, and then if you turn out, if it's a dud, then it's over, and if not, we'll see if it continues. But more likely than not, you're gonna be done with me long before I'm done with you. 
So in that sense, I'll just I just let the reins loose pretty early and then see how long they survive and then record the results. <laughs> James, it looks like you're gonna say something. No, I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna keep listening. I'm 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 about the listening right now. But it, I wouldn't say that I have any negative intent. I would never want you know something bad to happen to anybody here, and no disrespect intended. It's more of just you know these are the formalities that one must go through. <laughs> but there's love involved, you know. I do it out of love. <laughs> I do what I love, and what I love is to make you a lab rat. I do it out of love. First of all, they're making me a lab rat. They're just not being straight up about it. <laughs> They're already, I mean, sometimes it's pretty brutal. The things that somebody could say to me that have really like turned me inside out. They're in a very powerful position in my life. If I'm dead, because I don't let people in, you know what I mean? So if they're in, that means it's them and maybe two other people and me. And we're all in my head and that's it, you know? So if you're one, of, if, if they're one of the people with a spot, then the amount of influence, it's like they own stock in my company or something. Like they honestly could shut down the whole thing or hire a new staff if they wanted to. And there's really not much I can do once they're in. So can I ask you a personal question? Yes. You said earlier that you were bipolar one. Yeah. I'm also bipolar one. Oh, no. Get off my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> has, um, has that made dating difficult for you? Well, long story short, yes. <laughs> but nothing recently, no. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so let me try to say this in the most, uh, you know, simplest way. <laughs> um. I, at one point, was a very dangerous felon because I was bipolar. <laughs> now, it's indirect. It it's indirect. <laughs> but it was uh, really, the cause of it was psychotic symptoms, not mood changes. But I was told that the mood changes were what caused the psychotic symptoms to begin with. And since I've been treated for the mood changes, I haven't had any psychotic symptoms. So that's the strong evidence that it was actually a bipolar incident rather than like a schizophrenic or schizoaffective or something related directly to psychosis. So, um, but for me, it was a lot of like hearing voices, um, and grandiose beliefs. And, uh, I just basically ran wild for a, a couple of months <laughs> and then everything worked out. <laughs> now I'm here. Um, I should put, throw out that I'm a Davis student now. I study electrical engineering. So good for you. I'm not a uh, complete, you know, I'm not just a crazy guy anymore. <laughs> Things are kind of like, all right, this is, there's hard evidence in the real world that I'm not trapped in my mind anymore. But in some sense, I still am in the philosophical sense. Well, isn't everybody? <laughs> What's that? I said, isn't everybody? Yeah, hopefully. Um, if you're if you're actually a hundred percent sane, then I feel a little bad for you because it seems like I mean religion is an obvious example of this, but it seems like some amount of uh, um, believing things which may or may not be true is central to our species, like our brain working properly, like some amount of that. And you can train out of it. Like, that's one of the reasons why I like logic. I like philosophy. I like math. Because you can, you, it is a series of steps that you can take. It is a type of training, no different from physically training your body, where at the end of the training, you still have that. You can still be a dreamer. You can still be, you know, wildly imaginative, but you have this toolkit that can allow you to debunk things. So it's not really a runaway effect unless you are psychotic <laughs> then even with the training you're going to have a little bit of a runaway effect it turns out but um yeah i i i, I think that uh, for me one of the cool things is that i mentioned at the beginning that this whole uh, the chef of x thing is the relationship between reason and creation and uh there are four different kind of projects under a same creative umbrella i think for me a big part of the output of my uh like bipolar experiences at this point in my life is super positive because it's uh it's been a driver behind uh me exploring these other areas 
uh, in my life that I wouldn't have tried out if I hadn't have been a little more dri- driven. Hmm. If you that you may not have done if you hadn't had a little drive behind. Well, yeah, but my drive was a, like I I had a drive, but it wasn't in that direction, and a big part of me going through a kind of mental thing was that my direction changed for some amount, some period of time in my life, a hard, completely different direction. And now it's pretty much, it's like looped back. But in that other direction, it's very much like, you know, it's part of the reason why I brought up ethics today. It's, it's really more of the, it's instead of reasoning from some decisions that have already been made in my mind, maybe when I was a kid, now I'm challenging those initial decisions. It's a different type of growth. It's a different way you can build a new system. So I was stacking up, stacking up, stacking up over here, and I was forced over there. And once I'm over there, there's nothing over there. So then I started to build a little over there. And then I built a little more, and then I built a little more. And now I'm back at the original place, but I'm like, oh, I have a whole nother house over there. I didn't even, that didn't even exist before. And um, I feel like I had the same, uh, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was pretty ambitious before, but I was just ambitious in a whole new realm. <laughs> after everything, after everything changed, the light went off and everything changed. But, um, you know, there's benefits to getting bit by the radioactive black widow, so to speak. <laughs> uh. But then again, we're all spider food at the end of the day. I mean, we're all just rat food, or, you know, worm food, you know. Who cares? How many years do you think you have left to live? <laughs> left to live? Yeah, you know. I think I'm going to live a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Not smoking cigarettes. I quit. Okay, fair enough. What is it like smoking cigarettes? Oh, it's amazing. What is it? Because you don't get high. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get high, right? So what is it? You just It relaxes you or something? Um, the voices turn off. Oh, really? <laughs> like, it, it's just like... So it, 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 it interacts like, with your... It's just quieter after. So you're, oh, wow. You know? How are things how now? Explain. What do you mean? After, so you stop smoking, now are the voices on? That was just a metaphor more... Well, I, well even I'm, as a metaphor, let's just leave it as a metaphor for a second. How are things after you stop? Because I imagine that could be some anxiety um i don't know i like not doing it the i um everything smells nicer everyone (laughs) like i don't feel gross all the time you know yeah it's kind of a like it makes you feel dirty oh wow so and i don't need like at work i can work a lot longer and not take as many breaks because like i was always thinking about my next cigarette and now Wow. I'm thinking about what book I might want to read or something a little more productive. Hmm. Well, congratulations. I hear it's hard getting off of cigarettes. It can be. Um, I think there are certain things that are more difficult. Hmm. Hmm. Probably being a bat would be pretty difficult. Being a bat would be difficult if you weren't a bat. <laughs> Dating as a bat would be difficult. Oh my god. How so? Please explain. Dating as a bat? Or Have dating you seen a bat? those bat faces? <laughs> oh, but oh my gosh. If you're a bat, that's the pinnacle of fucking beauty yeah, right it. there. I know, right? Or what if, what if it was even more twisted where it was ugly to bats? But it was socially acceptable to date the ugliest person that you could find, in which case it basically translates to beauty. That's one way that, like, you can't tell from the outside. That's actually, that's a good, I mean, that is a good point. Uh, if you had a bunch of people who, da- who made it a rule to date the ugliest person, right, and that they were the most sought-after person in that culture. Yeah, there's benefits right? to ugly people, I think. Well, then, of course, then... You go Some in, right? You go into that culture and you say, okay, well, what's ugliness, right? Okay, maybe asymmetrical faces yeah. or exaggerated qualities on the face, right? Yeah. Maybe that's what that is. But they're sought after. Yeah. If you have them, people like you more. People are probably overjoyed when you like them and you have those qualities. It would translate to beauty, yeah. right? And this goes back into what you said where when different cultures talk about right and wrong, mm-hmm. 
the variables are completely different, yeah, right? Nobody knows what's yeah. I how mean, could, how could you explain that to another culture, for instance? Hmm. As ugly as a bat. That's what I'll tell the next person that I date. You know, you're as ugly as a bat. Start off with the bat, right? <laughs> I can't believe if I don't get slapped, then that's a good six months of my life right there. She's a keeper. <laughs> oh, that's dark. I usually don't like going into the beauty related things, you know. It's so shallow. It's so beneath me. <laughs> you can go way deep. Like, you can really, like, go at, go at their personality and who they are as a person. That's where you... You as a person are a piece of shit. <laughs> Oh, how sweet. He doesn't know, you know, what he's saying. You know, I just... <laughs> what a special boy. <laughs> what a special one. Well, there is that whole stereotype of um, yeah, the nice guys fin- finish last. I had a pretty bad experience when I was in middle school or high school, one of those two, where I was talking to some girl. I worked up the courage <laughs> to finally utter some words to her. And I was at a basketball... <laughs> I was at a basketball game. And I was talking to her on the side of the court, and one of the players saw us, and he walked up, and without even, like, you know, saying excuse me or, you know, pardon me, let me, you know, whatever, he just stepped, like, we're mid-conversation, he steps in between the two of us, so now I'm, like, looking at his butt, and he starts talking to this girl, and I'm like, what? Like, what? I don't understand, you know? But um, I realized at that moment, at least for that, you know, demographic of, uh, I guess, middle school chick. But I said, you know, let me take note of this moment because (laughs) there's real shit and there's bullshit. And there is some real shit to the whole, like, I think there's something like uh, primal about certain things when it comes to uh, dating, where sometimes we really do like things that we shouldn't like you know i mean what does it mean that you should like something that was my whole takeaway from it i was like maybe this is just perfectly fine like my first thing is oh i'm offended that somebody would cut me off let's just sugarcoat it in a conversation but then later on i thought man i think this is a learning moment that this person that i was trying to talk to really likes it when like they're somewhat disrespected or somewhat not even that really i was technically because he was talking to her but when they're somewhat like they do something that's clearly unacceptable there is an appeal for some people and i don't think there's any reason to deny this but it is fucked up if you're on the short end of the stick (laughs) but anyhow uh so now i talk shit to people now I tell How people does that, that work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell them that they remind me of a mealworm and things of this nature. Zebra face, uh, you know, hoof foot. And, um, you know. It works out. I don't want to state the percentages, but uh, <laughs> they're not all failures. <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend this for anybody. I would say, you know what, go the traditional route, you know. Anyhow, I think it is time for the most most important important question question in in the the universe. universe. Okay, big question. (laughs) Spin or twirl? Twirl. Spin. That's right.